Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Here in our evening services, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we've seen so far, it's a pretty mental book. Um, There are parts of this book that can feel so, so strange, like um, the message, all of life is meaningless, so just think about death. Um, And then there are some real absolute pearls of wisdom to be found in this book. It can feel, to me, a little bit at times, like one of those um, really artsy films where you've kind of not got much sense of what's going on um, generally. But every now and then... The message becomes clear, and it's actually a really, really deep message because you have to do a little bit of digging to get there. And that's what we've seen so far in each of the topics that Ecclesiastes has brought up. The book shows this teacher who's traditionally believed to be King Solomon, and he's looking for some meaning to life under the sun. And we see that when things are considered just on this purely earthly level, um, it's a pretty bleak picture. Whatever the teacher throws himself into is found to be completely meaningless, whether that be work, pleasure, wisdom, or whatever else. The only way to find meaning, he says, is to look somewhere other than under the sun. And instead, the teacher concludes at the end of the matter, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. So as we draw this series to an end this evening, I think the main thing that we can take away from um, everything that we've read and learned from this series is that very simply, God created us for himself. St. Augustine famously said, God, you have created us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So we're going to kick off by reading our passage that comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. It should come up on the screen behind me as well. So that's 12, 1 to 14. It says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, Before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the picture is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Right. So Solomon is really trying to go out with a bang here. Um, And as the book draws to a close, he begins to reflect on some of the lessons that he's learned and he tries to draw some conclusions from it. So we're going to take a look this evening at three things that as a result of everything that we've learned in Ecclesiastes, we must seek to live out as Christians. Firstly, we must remember our creator. Secondly, we look first to God's wisdom. And finally, we fear God. So remember your creator in the days of your youth. This is the first verse of our passage. And this idea of a creator is quite important here because it's the first time it's mentioned in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And I think as humans, when we're young, it can be really, really easy to have this mentality of, man, life is forever. I don't need to think about death. But here, actually, Solomon again is challenging young people to think differently. He advises them to serve God, live for God while they're young, and to do this before they get bogged down with a life under the sun. Basically, do it while you're young, life is really short. There's this really widespread perception of your youth or of your 20s to be the absolute time of your life. Go find yourself, live your best life, and experience everything you possibly can. And this often looks really fab in TV, movies, and often on social media. But how often does this idea of our youth actually just end up making us feel really bad? FOMO is a real thing. Feeling like you're missing out or you're not living life to the fullest. Um, Seeing people's holiday pics of them stroking elephants in Thailand can make you feel this way really quickly. And this rhetoric doesn't really hold up. Like a lot of the things that this teacher mentions in life, this can feel like a mist. Connor spoke last week about the original translation of that word meaningless being hevel, being totally uncontrollable and therefore, in a way, meaningless. I had this friend at school who started coming along to church with me and uh, kind of when we were teenagers and eventually at a Christian summer camp, she gave her life to God. And I was super excited um, about what was happening in her life, um, about this commitment that she'd made. But after a couple of months um, at school, it felt as though her excitement was starting to die down a little bit. And we ended up having this chat about faith. And I distinctly remember her saying, I know it's real and all that, but, and I know I've experienced it, but I really want to go to uni and try different drugs. I really want to have sex. I want to live my life first. And then maybe when I come back from uni, I'll commit to it. And we're now f- five or six years um, post-uni, and she sadly not come back to faith yet. These verses are saying, don't be a fool. Don't be misconstrued about what life is really about. Give the young years of your life to serving God. And then in verses 2 to 5, we see this poetic picture of ageing. It says, the almond tree blossoms. This would have been um, a cultural reference or analogy to depict hair going white. So maybe a modern-day example of this verse translated now could be like kicking the bucket or to be no spring chicken anymore. This man is saying, you're not getting any younger, so serve God now. Give your life to God now. And I'll admit, it's really hard to live with this perspective all of the time because we're so encouraged to live in the moment, just see where today takes you. But I believe there's so much wisdom in what this teacher is saying. Serve God while you're young because life is short. And crucially, this is going to look different for everyone. He has a different calling for everyone. What God has called me to do will look very different to what God has called you to do, perhaps. But what we know that he's called all of us to do 
is to remember our creator, to acknowledge him, to serve him and love him in whatever context that we've been put in. A few years ago, a mentor of mine um, challenged me on something that was quite painful to hear at the time. Um, It's actually served me really well since then. Uh, I was in this season of life of really wanting to know exactly what it was that God was wanting to do through my life, um, particularly on my big year abroad where I was going to be working with vulnerable people. What was God, what was I going to be able to achieve um, for God's kingdom in that time? I wanted that kind of ministry fairy tale um, of serving God in a developing country because how great would that look on me? And a few months into this big year of doing this, surprise, surprise, it was not living up to my expectations whatsoever. And I wasn't coming off so good in the situation either. And my mentor sent me this message, um, which was these verses in Isaiah 43, 7 and verse 10 as well. And it says, everyone who's called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. And I suddenly had this realisation that was very simply, God created me for himself. God formed me just so that I would know him and believe him. In other words, that I would love him. And this is what we need to get. God does not desperately need us in order to advance his kingdom and make loads of great things happen. God wants us to know him as our creator, as our father, and love him wholeheartedly. In our verse in Ecclesiastes, where it talks of remembering your creator, that word remember in the biblical sense means um, to know or to love or to, to commit oneself to God. This means to love and serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our wholehearted serving of God starts with us laying down our own plans for what we think God will do through us and humbly learning to love him, learning to know him and remember him in everything that we do. Because when we see God as creator, we begin to realise that everything in life came to be because he intended it to. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth and in him everything holds together. God created the earth the moon, all the billions of stars, the solar system, the sea, every single country. And at the same time, he knows you. He knows what you're thinking about before you're going to think it. We are talking about a God so incredible, it's hard for us to comprehend him. When I'm on holiday, one of my favourite things to do is go to the beach. And I especially love it. If I can get a moment by myself, I love to stand in front of the sea and just look um, kind of as far as I can see on on the horizon. Because it reminds me of how small I am. It's kind of the only visual thing that helps me understand God. The sea is so vast and so powerful, and I feel so small standing next to it. We are God's creation, along with the whole universe. And when we remember this, it begins to put everything into perspective and gives meaning to our lives. So firstly, we're called to remember God as our creator And we have to allow that to make us into humble servants of God. Another second thing that Solomon advises us to do is to look first to God's wisdom. Verses 9 to 12 speak about the teacher's pursuit of knowledge. The verse tells us that this guy was a really wise man and he shared this wisdom with others. He sought after as much wisdom and information as he possibly could find. But here he's concluding that actually there's a weariness to it. There will always be more to know, more to find out about the world. 
Uh, verse 12 says, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. How many of us here who have ever been through an exam period can testify that this is the truth? It's so great to study and work really hard at the things that we're dedicating our time to. But here, Solomon is trying to reiterate the point that, most, that the most important wisdom we can seek to learn is the wisdom given by the one shepherd who is God. I think there's a massive difference between having worldly wisdom and having godly wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, Paul talks about the foolishness of God and the wisdom of the wise. And when I first read this passage, I genuinely thought that maybe Paul had written this the wrong way around by accident. Like the foolishness of God and the wisdom of the wise doesn't sound quite right. But what Paul is saying is that there are two realms that we need to recognise as Christians. Firstly, the wisdom of the wise refers to all that we can grasp with our logical thinking, with our human brains, and then the foolishness of God is the greatest wisdom um, that we can only access with our faith knowledge and by the help of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And then later on in chapter 2, he says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. God not only wants us to remember him and know him as our creator, but also he wants, us, he wants to give us wisdom from him so that we can really understand the things of God, so that we can have this insight into what the gospel is all about. You might read many books about God and what he's like, and even study in a lot of depth into theology, but you can very easily never receive the insight and wisdom of God. I grew up in a fairly intellectual church. Lots of people who ran the church had graduated from Oxford or Cambridge, and the quality of the preaching was pretty immense um, and and kind of in-depth. Very, very intelligent, really, really good stuff. Um, But I remember going to church as a teenager and genuinely feeling so, so bored Um, because I just didn't understand what they were talking about or how it was supposed to relate to my life. And then I had this experience of the Holy Spirit, which I believe opened my eyes to a kind of spiritual realm. I was suddenly really, really excited by faith, and I'd been given this insight into who God was for the first time. And I was really, really hungry for more, so I was asking God to keep on revealing himself to me. And suddenly the Bible became really alive. Things that I'd read before many, many times and not really thought twice about, suddenly felt so personal to me and to my life. And I felt as though everything had finally clicked for me. The penny had dropped. The style of the preaching at the church didn't change at all. But because my eyes had opened, when I tuned into these sermons, God would speak um, and would would reveal stuff to me by his spirit. There is a massive difference between knowing stuff about the world, how people work, politics, history, and even theology, and having spiritual wisdom that comes from God alone. And Solomon, in our passage here, is urging us not to seek just worldly wisdom or to try and be wise in our own eyes, but he urges us to seek first the wisdom of God, to ask God to reveal his wisdom to us. What a timeless and relevant mandate Solomon gave us so many years ago for us today. We live in an age of wisdom, an age of intelligence. Um, If I want to know anything, I can just ask Alexa, and normally she'll give me the right answer. And we live in a society where everyone believes that they know best, um, where you must be in the right in what you say, or there's a risk of being shamed by everyone. 
how much do we need the wisdom of God in our lives today? We can't rely on simply making sure that we're totally up to date with the latest things that are happening all over the world or the latest opinion to share or the right way to think about things. We need to seek the wisdom of God and ask the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see God's heart in the midst of chaos. So Solomon has has taken us through the first two conclusions from the book of Ecclesiastes, to remember your creator while you're young and then to seek first the wisdom of God. And now as we get into the last few verses, he rounds it off with one final commandment, which is to fear God and to keep his commandments. He writes in verse 13, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon is saying here, this is what I found at the, at the end of everything that I've evaluated. This is what it all boils down to. And when he's talking here about fear, fearing God, he's not referring to um, intimidation, but rather he's referring to reverence, obedience that comes from understanding the majesty and the authority of God. When I was in primary school, I had this really, really terrifying teacher who told me that she couldn't believe that my maths level was as low as it was for my age, which was some absolute quality teaching right there. Um, and I was terrified of her, but it only made my maths way worse. Um, when I was in lessons, I'd be sat there racking my brains for the right answer. Um, but because of the pressure and kind of my fear of getting it wrong, I always did get it wrong. I wasn't in a, in a kind of space of calm and trust to be able to, to think clearly. And I think it's so important that when we're talking about fearing God... We don't get it mixed up with situations or ideas like these. God doesn't use fear tactics to make us fall into line. He is um, a good and kind father who is trustworthy. So we can know and trust that when we follow his commandments, we are going the right way. So what does it look like for us to fear God and keep his commandments? Jesus talks about it in the book of Matthew. He uses a parable about a wise builder and a foolish builder to explain this to us. He said... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." To fear God means to build the house of your life on the solid foundation that is his love and his authority. Maybe um, for some of us here this evening, we're building our lives on the sand that could be people-pleasing, essentially uh, making how others feel about us the lord of our lives. Or maybe your sand um, is the area, is kind of the idea of achievement, and you make your accomplishments the thing Um, that has authority over you or maybe it's money or sex or status all these things have such an enticing veneer that promises to deliver and so we we very often make them the most important thing we serve them and before we know it God is just a side thing in our lives something that we might devote a little bit of thinking time to but nothing more than that and we end up feeling empty life becomes a little more meaningless But here, Solomon is urging us to put God back on the throne of our lives, to make him the one that we're interested in pleasing, to make him the one that we obey and we live for. Solomon is saying, I've been searching for meaning, and I found that this is the only meaning you will find in life. Everything else is empty. Everything else won't deliver. 
but building your life on the rock of Jesus is what will allow you to live an abundant life. But we cannot just pay lip service to Jesus and talk about making him the foundation. We must live it out as well. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Um, the way to live a meaningful life, Solomon is saying, is if we do it God's way. If we surrender our own will to him and live out the things that he has commanded. How easy is it for us to have the best will in the world to follow God? But when we wake up in the morning, we just charge straight into the day without acknowledging him at all. Asking the Holy Spirit for help with following God and for perspective to see things God's way is our ticket to living this meaningful life. As we read the Bible, um, we must ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what it is that God is saying or challenging us to do. We're not called to be passive and just think about God. We are called to be doers of the word. I usually find that um, routine really helps me. And when it comes to, to spending time with God and reading the Bible, and especially over summer, I can find this a little bit harder because holidays can very easily throw me out of whack, not having the normal routine. Um, but I just really want to encourage us this evening, as we're kind of stopping our evening services for the summer, just kind of keep on pursuing God. Come to the morning services, get stuck into your Bibles, join community groups. There are loads of um, free Bible study resources as well that you can access online. If you're in need of some ideas for these, I have some ideas, so do come speak to me at the end. Um, so as, as we've seen, this message from Solomon in Ecclesiastes is such a strong message Um, He uses this idea of death to shake us into action. He's saying this is a life and death situation. You've got to choose which one you want. And Jesus paid such a costly price for us on the cross so that we could accept this invitation to a life full of meaning, a life to the full in the best way possible. But it's up to us to accept it and to receive it.